Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about theological integrity, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church or ministry. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. So glad you guys are with us. Thanks for listening in. Thanks yep. for joining. Appreciate it. Yes. We do it for the fans. We don't do it for the fame. No. And don't do it for the money because there is no money. That's right. It actually costs us money to do this, but... We do it for know. the glory of God. That's it. That's yep. it. Yep. Although you said earlier said that fans. you do it for the fans. Yeah. Um, I'd like to redact that. Um, by fans, I meant the one fan that matters. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, how you been, bro? I've been well. You know, we're we're in spring now, which is exciting. Um, Syracuse is a tough place to be for the six months of winter, so it feels good to be yep. in spring. And looking outside the window right now, and I just saw a bird fly by. I just saw another bird fly by. Oh, he just There's froze to death. Oh, never mind. <laughs> this is the rest of the podcast. And then, yeah. Another bird flies by. <laughs> Sky is blue. Sun is out. Yes, it's 33 degrees, but who cares? It looks beautiful. Yeah, it feels like 65 when you've been going through the winter we've been going through. So No, it's true. It's funny because it, as soon as it gets over 40 in the winter, everybody is out running around in T-shirts and shorts in Syracuse because yeah. it's, it's so much better than negative 20. Yeah, that's so true. Well, we're excited to dive in. We're going to be doing a series of podcasts and... Um, Dave and I have been working on something for a few years. We've been a part of a committee. Dave, why don't you just share a little bit about what we've been doing um, and, and what we've been able to be a part of for the last few years. Yeah, we both serve in a network called the New York Ministry Network. Uh, it's with the Assemblies of God. And we were part of a team that was tasked with um, supporting our leadership in identifying and clarifying vision, mission, values, strategy of the network. Um what are we passionate about? What do we care about? What's our vision? And uh, our vision is gospel transformation in every community in New York. Our mission is we're network strengthening, uh, or we're strengthening a network of healthy churches and healthy leaders. And um, so now we're really talking about what's the strategy. So if that's our mission, which is to be a network that strengthens um, healthy leaders and healthy churches, how do we accomplish that? And you and I have served on a smaller team that's really been wrestling with the idea of healthy churches. And through the process, we've identified what we think are 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Um, there's not a lot of science or research behind this. We've piggybacked on other people's work. And we've looked at scripture and uh, just kind of identified what, what we really think are uh, some non-negotiables if your church is going to be healthy. And it's not maybe a conclusive list, but it's a helpful list. And now we're part of a team that's thinking through, now that we have these uh, how do, now that we have these characteristics, how do we create a shared language around it? Um, how do we create buy-in? And how do we resource people so that they can grow in these areas? And when we talk about health, sometimes there's this misconception that there's only unhealthy churches and there's healthy churches and that right. you're one or the other. But what has your experience been as it relates to health in the local church? Yeah, I think health is a continual progression. Mm-hmm. So um, we all start at different levels. Like... Um, People, people that work in ministries or in churches, you may inherit something that maybe if you're going to measure from a 1 to a 10, maybe you starting at a 2 and another guy starting at a 5. But nevertheless, there's always progress to be made. Yeah. And, um, and so I think health is a matter of becoming healthier, not trying to reach the pinnacle and then go, okay, yeah, I've arrived. You know? Yeah, and it's interesting to use that, to use that idea of a scale of 1 to 10. 
like you may walk into a church where let's say like one of the characteristics, let's say it's like, um, well, one of them is biblical community. We're not going to talk about that one today. But let's say you came into the church as the leader and it was at a two. And now through your faithful leadership um, and God's help and God's work, it's a four, right? Yeah. The church down the street was a five when the guy came in, and it's still a five. It's been a five for 15, 20 years. Right. Which church is actually healthier? Yep. So you would look at the church that's at a five, and obviously these are not exact numbers, but you get what I'm saying. You look at the church that's at a five that hasn't and hasn't grown healthier, yep. and even though they're maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, the other church probably is healthier because they're moving in the right direction. And so it's the same way with our physical health, right? There's always room for us to get healthier. And with any church, no matter how well they're doing, um, there's always room to, A, get healthier, but, B, examine your health metrics, so some churches would say, yes, we're healthy, but maybe they're measuring the wrong things, or maybe they're measuring they're not measuring enough things. Yeah. And so um, that's part of this effort that we've been connected to, is how do we create clarity around what a healthy church looks like, and then how do we resource churches to move towards health? And the encouraging thing about that, I think, is you may feel like you're not the most gifted leader, or maybe there's another leader who's has more talent or ability than you, but... I think the key is if you have a humble desire to continue to get healthier, mm-hmm. you're going to be far better off than someone who may be initially more talented or gifted in typical leadership things, you know? So the one that's hungry, the one that's humble, the one that is going, man, I, I want to learn. I want to grow better. Like, I'm never going to be satisfied with where I'm at. Um, I think those are the leaders that in the long term are going to see real health and success. And, and uh, so if that's you. You're in luck. Yeah. And the other thing we should say before we dive into the first characteristic is that this isn't just specific to people who are leading churches, right? Yeah. Um, Many of these characteristics, if not all of them, would apply to those who are serving in local churches at any level, assistant pastor, associate pastor, youth, children, creative arts, um, whatever you're doing, a lot of these will apply to you. And even if you're listening in, you say, I don't work in a local church or I don't work in a faith-based environment, I actually think at least... Uh, 50 to 60 percent of these will apply very directly to any organization that you're a part of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take um, one characteristic per episode. And so today is our first episode, and we're going to start right at the top. And uh, when we talked about what does a healthy church have, what does a healthy church look like, the first thing that we came up with was this idea of theological integrity, theological integrity. And I, I want to define it for us. And then let's unpack the definition because I'm just going to give you a heads up. This definition is a mouthful. It's, it's, there's a <laughs> lot in it, um, but let's break it down. So what is theological integrity? It's not a phrase that I've personally actually heard used a lot. Um, but here's how we are defining theological integrity. Theological integrity is faithfulness to the interpretation and application of Scripture while thoughtfully considering and contextualizing all its implications in practical and pastoral ministry. Mm. Wow. Mm. That's a lot. That's a lot. Let I don't even it. know what that Let means. Let me read it one more time because yeah. I just read that like I have trouble reading. Let me read it one time <laughs> at full speed and then let's break it down. Theological integrity is faithfulness to the interpretation and application of scriptures while thoughtfully considering and contextualizing all its implications in practical and pastoral ministry. So let me start before we actually... Uh, 
take this definition apart. Let's start with the idea of um, theology and the value of theology, right? Because I know this yeah. is a big thing for both of us. It's been part of our journeys. And along the way, as you as you become more interested in theology, you, you inevitably come up against other leaders and other pastors who don't share the same passion or interest. And it's not bad or good. It's just different. But then sometimes you actually get the pushback. And you, I know that you've personally heard this. Does theology really matter? Yeah. Like, how does it, like, I'm just trying to lead people, serve people, love people, point to Jesus. Like, I don't need all that theology stuff. And I don't want to set up a straw man version of what they're saying. I think what they're saying is we don't have the exact same level of passion for, like, the gritty, nitty gritty of theological debate and whatnot. Yeah. But there is a danger to having this mindset of, Theology, really, in the end of the day, it's just for people who sit in ivory towers and just dissect passages in the Greek and the Hebrew. But theology doesn't really make a difference in real-life ministry. And what would you say? What's your experience been? Yeah. No, I've definitely definitely had those conversations with people. And I think sometimes um, it's people that feel maybe there's a little bit of insecurity, like, well, I didn't— you know, I didn't go to Bible college or I didn't go to seminary, and theology is just for those types, you know. And um, But the reality is everybody has a theology. It's not a matter of do do I like theology or not like it or do I have a theology or not or that's not my thing. I'm I'm more of a practical guy. Like we all have a theology which influences what we do. So you're saying whether we whether or not we have a well put together confessional type theology, we all have a functional theology. Yeah, yeah. You may not be able to um, put it into words well or sit down and explain and go, yeah, here's what I do. But you by nature are operating out of a theology. And a simple way maybe think about theology is like what you believe about God, yourself, your role in the world, um, all those type of things are influencing uh, how you live every day, how you do ministry, how you lead your ministry, um, whether you realize it or not, they are. So the question is not are you into theology or do you have a theology? The question is, is your theology in line with a biblical theology? Do you have integrity in your theology? Yeah, even the even the um, argument that you don't need theology to serve God or you don't need to be a theologian to lead people, that in and of itself is a theology, right? That yeah. in and of itself is a specific way of thinking about and approaching God. And uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what comes into our mind when we think about God, that is our theology, yep. right? So there's no avoiding it. Everyone is a theologian. We make choices in our lives. We make decisions, and it's all based on a specific theology. So theology matters. And so when we talk about theological integrity, let's go back to the definition. It starts with this simple phrase. Theological integrity is faithfulness to the interpretation and application of scriptures. So let's let's stop there for a second because ultimately— uh, Theology is all has to be informed by something. We have to have a starting place for our theology. And uh, different religions have different starting places, different sacred texts. And for Christianity, it's the scriptures, it's the Bible. So when you think of the idea of faithful interpretation of scripture and faithful application of scripture, how do you, how would you explain what those two things are to our listeners? Well, first of all, I would say you, you said in Christianity, the Bible influences our theology. And I would say, yeah, ideally. However, I don't think that always happens. Sure. Oftentimes, I think what what ends up influencing our theology is culture and tradition. Um, so there's a lot of things that we do and believe, not because we've done the due diligence of mining the text and 
but it's because this is what someone told us. Mm -hmm. So we were raised under a pastor who said this, and so now we say it. Or we had parents who told us these certain things, and so now we kind of just say it. Um, You know, it's the idea of, like, I'll never be like my dad. And then you become a dad, and you find yourself being like your dad, right? I mean, so oftentimes I think many people, if they're not careful, they think they have a well-thought-through theology or they know why they're doing stuff but in reality it's not it's not based on scripture or the text or the bible but it's based on history and um, culture and so that's what's unique about evangelical christianity which is we say hey the text is ultimately what drives us and if culture may get off track culture may look to other things but what brings us back is the text and so i think what what that means um is being committed to discovering and unlocking the truths of Scripture, being open and willing and committed to that process, mm-hmm. and to look at the things that we believe and why we believe them and say, what does the Bible say about this? And so I remember going through this process as a youth pastor, and I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church. I grew up in church my whole life. Um, and I remember going to, I went to we're assembly. both We're both pastor's kids, just FYI. Yeah, both pastor's kids, and went to Assemblies of God School, and I remember hitting this wall as a youth pastor where I where I thought to myself, I've never thought through my beliefs. Like, in fact, I think I was listening to a podcast which, which had a different belief about um, maybe eschatology or something like that, which is the study of the end times. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I never even knew there was a different belief out there, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, I started this kind of journey of, looking through the stuff that I had believed, but I only really believed it, not because I was convinced and convicted that the text taught it. It was because that's what I was told by my parents, or that's what I was told by the pastor that raised me. And so what's interesting is a lot of people, I think, are fearful of that. But for me, some of the things I cast aside, but most of it was reinforced, and I felt like I came out of that feeling more confident and more strong and felt like I was on solid footing. Yeah, and I think I know you really well. I know how you're wired, that you want to get to the bottom of things. You want to know the truth. You don't want to settle for sort of pat answers. There are other people who would listen to the podcast that you're describing that contradict something they've been told their whole life, and they their their natural inclination would be to be dismissive yeah. or to be antagonistic. And so one of the things when it comes to interpreting Scripture, and I think it has to be said that everybody's interpreting, yeah. right? So we're always interpreting the idea that there are some churches that just preach the Word and some churches that preach their opinion, you know, it's a fine line because we're all having to do our best to handle an ancient text, interpret it rightly, and, you know, ask questions like, what was the original intent of the author? What did this mean then and there? So that then we can ask the question, in the light of that, what does it mean now and here, you know, now and here? And so, uh, and one of the mistakes we make, or that is often made, is skipping the whole hard work of asking, what did it mean then and there? understanding the historical and cultural and even the literary context of the writing that you're studying. And a lot of people don't want to like dive in and do that work, or they've been taught again somewhere along the way that they don't need to do that work because the spirit will just illuminate to them outside of the actual scholarly work that it takes. But we all stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us who have done that hard work and we're invited into that also. And so I think interpreting scripture and learning how to interpret scripture in, in healthy um, ways is such a starting point for having a well-formed theology. Yeah. Do you feel like one of the key pieces to that, and I know you've you've talked taught this before, but helping people understand the Bible is written for you, not to you, 
like that simple principle mm-hmm. because we you know we we live in our culture today and so when someone opens up their bible it's natural tendency to impart all of my uh life onto that and so as jesus is talking i'm assuming he's talking about me not being able to find a, a parking space at walmart last week and how stressed out i got like oh that's what he's saying here you know what i mean so that important principle of interpretation which is um, the Bible was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. This was a biblical author inspired by God writing to a specific biblical audience, and we got to do the work, right? That's that's a big part of it. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, they don't understand that. Well, and I think so much of that has to do with just understanding the genre of the text that you're reading, right? So like when we try to be allegorical with narratives, in other words, when we try to assign sort of coded meaning to stories that actually happened, which is what we often people often do with the Old Testament, um, we're always going to end up with in kind of a wacky spot where anything rec- represents anything. And so I think we don't this, we don't have the time. Maybe we can do a whole separate podcast on what it looks like to really yeah. uh, attack and, 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 and approach Scripture and always with a deep humility and appreciation in our hearts. And, you know, one of the things I always think of when I think of theology is that if the outcome of gained theological knowledge is not a deeper love for Jesus and, and a deeper passion for his mission— and a deeper appreciation for his people, then we've missed the point of theology. And that does happen, doesn't it? Some people, oh, yeah. it just becomes about um, getting more knowledge, feeling smarter than other people, looking down your nose at people who don't have the degrees that you have or haven't read the books that you've read. And so if you're interpreting Scripture and applying Scripture in a way that's actually giving you, making you more spiritually prideful, then you need to start over. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So faithfulness to the interpretation and application of Scripture. So interpretation, what did it mean then in their application? What does it mean here and now? While, here's the second part of the definition, thoughtfully considering and contextualizing all of its implications in practical and pastoral ministry. So considering, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Contextualizing it, what does it mean here, right? In 21st century we're up in the northeast of the United States, which is distinct from other parts of the United States, which is further distinct from other parts of the Western Hemisphere, which is further distinct from other places around the globe, right? Yep. And so how do we apply this text right here, right now? What are all of the implications of what God is saying through his written word, both in our practical ministry and our pastoral ministry? So as we serve and lead other people, but also as we live our lives in ways that bears God's image well. Um, and so this is this is the full definition of theological integrity. Consider the, the second half, considering and contextualizing all of its implications in practical and pastoral ministry. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm interested to hear from you because you now are in a role where you're a lead pastor. You're preaching every single week, pretty much every single week. <clears throat> and so I, I'm interested to hear from you for how this perspective has changed because you were a youth pastor, then you served in the role that I serve in, which you're not preaching every week in this role. Um, and but now for you, you're unpacking scripture. I know right now we're going through a book a series in the book of Luke. Mm-hmm. So f- for you, how is that? How has that shaped you? How has that changed you? How do you think about doing proper interpretation? But then actually, how do you apply that to your your church and your setting? I think it starts with knowing your people, the mm-hmm. people that God's given you to serve. Um, and that requires you to spend time with them. So pastors who just bury themselves in their office and in their books all week long to write really theologically strong messages are going to really struggle with application because if you're not having breakfast uh, with people, in your, and not just leaders in your church, but all kinds of people in your church, and whatever you can do to connect with people who don't go to your church, who just live yeah. in your community, the more that you can make the effort to 
hear what are the questions that they're asking. Because one of the things I remember learning from Tim Keller is that when, when we go to the scripture text, we all bring questions with us, right? Mm. And those questions are shaped by all the reading and listening that we've done that week or just in that season of life. And so his whole point was, if all you do is talk to other Christian leaders, other pastors, if all you do is read books on pastoring and church leadership and church growth, then your sermons may become more accurate, but they're also going to become less relevant. And he actually used the word more stupid. Um, <laughs> in other words, he said, you're going to start answering questions that people aren't asking. Yeah. When you start doing that, it almost doesn't matter how well you've interpreted the text because you're not helping them yeah. um, see how relevant it is to their lives. And ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's work to to really um, cause the heart of the listener to come alive and respond. So for me, when I go to write a sermon, uh, first thing is I want to be sure that I understand the text. I want to be faithful to the text. But then I'm also really asking two questions. In what way does this text show us Jesus more clearly? Uh, how does this point our hearts to Christ and away from ourselves? And the other big question I'm asking is, in the light of the struggles that Average Joe has in um, middle-class suburb of Syracuse, what are the questions they came in with to this room with? And how do I redirect their questions, reframe their questions in terms of questions that this text actually answers? That's I don't know if that's confusing to the listener or not. Um, that, again, could probably use a whole separate um, podcast to talk about. But that's a lot of what I'm doing is yeah. and then paying attention to the world around us, what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our country, uh, what are the hot topics. I listen to a lot of non-faith-based podcasts and read nonfiction that's outside of the Christian world just so I have a sense of like what other people are thinking about and worried yeah. about. I think that's huge. And you talked about um, who you spend time with and who you listen to, and it's very easy in um, in ministry or even in leadership to only hang around with people in your subculture, mm -hmm. you know? So you only hang around with people who are Christians or people who are leaders on your team or maybe people who tend to think like you. And you, um, so all the things that you think about when you're preparing a sermon or you're, you're going to the Bible is all influenced by that, but you're not hanging out with anybody who's not a Christian, who's not in your church. And so you're not, at, you're not answering any questions they're asking, which has an effect. The people that come to your church that want to invite people they're sitting there going, I can't bring my friends here because the stuff that they're talking about is not stuff that they care about. Yeah. You know, so the byproduct, I think, is also understanding you're creating a space where people feel confident and comfortable to bring those who, who are not Christians because they know, oh, wow, he's he actually is talking about the stuff that they're talking about. You yeah. know, when I'm at work with them, like, we have these conversations or I know they're thinking about this. Yeah. And so I think that's huge. I think um, another big part of theological integrity, when we talk about considering and contextualizing theology in our practical and pastoral ministry, is really aligning our—I'll I'll use these terms and then I'll break it down—aligning our orthodoxy with our orthopraxy, right? So what we believe with what we do. And I think there's a lot of churches that struggle in health because they do lots of things, but it's not necessarily aligned with their theological convictions. They just do it because they've always done it or because they don't know what else to do or they feel the pressure to provide certain programs, resources, ministries, right? Yeah. So really connecting the why with the what. Here's why we do things. Uh, and as a result of our theological convictions, here's what we do. Now, that can be as practical as um, on Sunday mornings, we always make the effort at our church to explain why we sing, why we give, 
We don't assume people understand that. And that's part, I think, of having theological integrity and having real consideration for your community. So before our first song, um, there's always a slide that pops up while the band's introducing the first song, and it just says, why, why do we sing? And there's a, there's a statement up there. And there's six or seven different ones that we rotate through. Um, and then before we receive an offering, whoever receives it always answers the question, here's one reason why we give. And so I think churches that have that sort of commitment to having theological integrity and making sure that they're thinking through not just what not just what they do, but why they're doing what they do and how it connects to their theological core. Yeah. Um, it's going to help the church stay on mission, but it's also going to help the church serve visitors and people who just don't don't understand why are we standing right now why are we doing this how come people are praying how about the how about the simple thing of introducing yourself or having a name slide when you go up on stage right which is so so such a small thing and people go like why would we need to do that everybody knows who pastor dave is it's like well yeah problem (laughs) yeah that's a problem right if they do if everyone knows then well it ends up feeling like an insider club right and if you're an outsider there's a sense of like they weren't expecting me or yeah. they're not really thinking about me. I mean, I've been to so many different churches, and I, I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say in 95% of the churches I've been to, people don't introduce themselves right. when they get on the microphone. It seems like such a small thing, maybe even an unnecessary thing, but it communicates. Like if, if the heart of who we are is to be a people on mission and to be a people who want, who want to which, join up with which Jesus. Which is your orthodoxy. Yeah, join up with Jesus' mission right. to seek and save the lost and, 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 and also to exhibit hospitality the way that we see it exhibited in his life. Then part of our hospitality, part of our um, mission focus is doing something as small and practical as introducing ourselves when we get on the mic. And so I think that's when we talk about theological integrity, it's about this consistency all the way through the church from making sure that everything we do and everything that we say when we gather and when we scatter is connected to deep belief that's been worked out through faithful interpretation and application of Scripture. Yeah, and that's a great example of your orthodoxy, which is we're here to live on mission, um, moving to orthopraxy, which is we're going to make sure everybody introduces themselves. Yeah. And so this could look really simply in your churches. If you've got Sister Betty who runs the women's ministry, and every Sunday she gets up and says, and if you want to come to our event, go see a vet. Right. And you go to her and go, hey, you can't say that anymore. Like, And, she, of course, she's like, well, why can't I do that? We've always done that. I've done that for years. But sharing her, hey, our, here's our belief, right? Our orthodoxy is mission. Here's our orthopraxy. People don't may not know who she is, or maybe everyone right now does know who she is, but hopefully if we're living on mission, there's going to be people coming who don't. So instead of doing that, here's what we're going to do. But you know this. That potentially could mean some battles for you as a leader, right? For sure, for sure. And I think, you know, when we think about things like our our singing, our time of worship, you know, when we sing, like how does the how do the words that we sing reflect what we really believe and what we really want people to believe. When people come onto our property, what do we want them to experience that reflects the hospitality? And and, and here's another one. If at the heart of Christian theology is this incarnational Savior, right, this sending God, this God who sends his Son and the Son who sends his Spirit, if he's a sending God, what does it say if our orthopraxy is only an invitational environment? We're only inviting people to come into a building. they gotta, they got to... Um, overcome the obstacles to get to us as opposed to our orthodoxy which is jesus overcame the obstacles to come to us right so it it just stuff that we need to wrestle with and think through and that's it's it's an ongoing process there's no arriving right yeah and uh but this is what theological integrity is and healthy churches have it slash are, are aware of it and moving towards it 
Yeah. Hey, we hope this has been a benefit to you this week. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk about spirit dependency. Spirit dependency. So um, that'll be uh, that'll be great. Looking forward to chatting. Before we close out, um, I was recently told by some friends that um, they really only listen to the podcast for one segment, and that's David's eats. And so, um, David, I think we need to we need to do this today. What what's the best thing? you've eaten this past week or two well recently we did a little new york city manhattan food tour with some family when you say we friends. don't you, you don't no, mean me because selfishly you didn't include me in that no, but no. yeah but you're ahead. dieting so it really was a i really was being a good neighbor to you oh, wow. by not you. inviting you um there's a place in uh, maybe i've mentioned this before but i tried something different here there's a place in um in manhattan called italy there's actually two locations one's in chelsea on 23rd street and then one's down by the uh 9-11 memorial right and uh, it's basically like an Italian food explosion heaven. slash grocery store, kind of. you know, different stands, different things. And The glory of the Lord is there. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, one of the stands is um, they sell rotisserie chicken, which is kind of hard to get excited about for me. But they also sell sandwiches. And they used to only sell really one sandwich a day, and it was this prime rib uh, sandwich that I loved. It was my, my favorite thing. Unbelievable. The last time I noticed, they've expanded their menu, so I got something different. And it's it was a hot... The sandwich, I'm not going to remember every ingredient on it, but it had hot soppressata, which is like one of my favorite Italian meats. Mm. It's like a really spicy, flavorful pepperoni. And then they had some cheese and and I think maybe basil, but they also had honey on this thing. Mm. And it was like a panini. And there was something about the spiciness of the soppressata and the sweetness of the honey and then like the nuttiness of the cheese. And it was just the basil with a little freshness. Bro. Mm. It, it, I think it might like it more than the prime rib sandwich, which huh. is saying something because that prime rib sandwich has been my favorite for years. I think there's only one solution. We need to head back down. We need to get both and uh, do a little old-fashioned competition. What are you doing today? Let's, let's end this podcast so we can get down there. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Multiply Podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.